Well, you picked a great day to study the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee and Through the Bible as we start a new study in the Old Testament book of Ezra, and then later next week in the book of Nehemiah. When these books were originally read, they were linked together because both told the story from different perspectives of Israel's return to the land after hundreds of years of being refugees and exiles. This is an amazing time in Israel's history, and we're going to learn some great lessons about how God provides for and protects his people. Now, as you find your spot in God's Word, I want to welcome Greg Harris, Through the Bible's president, into the studio with us today. Greg, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Have you brought us some letters? Well, what do you think? <laughs> that's, that's a <laughs> probably, setup. Yeah. Probably more than probably we have time more, for. Yeah, we always we get frustrated because there's so many things we want to share with our listening family. But yes, of course, I brought some letters. And today, they're actually from the state of Madhya Pradesh. And you might say... Well, where is that? That's in the country of India. And this is not just sort of encyclopedia knowledge. There are actually 28 different states inside the country of India. And the reason we're bringing that up is when we talk about a country, no country is monolithic. Think about America, if you were yeah. describing the different parts. So Madhya Pradesh, the reason that's noteworthy is this state in India is one of the last to be open to missions. And it is very strongly Hindu. There's a lot of Hindu nationalism growing. Yes. And, in India, across yep. the, the country, but particularly in this state, very strict laws that limit sharing the gospel. And so as we hear from these listeners and viewers, let's let's be rejoicing in the fact that God is uh, overcoming those barriers. Yeah, here's a letter. This is from Rika. It is amazing how the Lord has brought me this far. I became a widow at a very young age. Because of this, I was depressed and struggled so much. When I remarried, I was cheated and not loved. My life continued to be miserable. In the midst of all these, I was introduced to Christ, and I came to know about your program. After watching for a year, I cried to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. At first, I was persecuted and not allowed to go to church, but my faith was not shaken. I now live separately with my son, and today I am active in the church. Please pray for my son's future and the continuation of my job. Thank you for this impactful program. Well, and there it is. There's an example of what we talked about, the, the, the strict laws limiting the sharing of the gospel. There's yeah. persecution when people turn to Christ. And another kind of interesting uh, complexity here in, in the state of Madhya Pradesh is that many tribal groups are in power more than almost anywhere else in the world. So you've got a strong influences of witchcraft and animism. All of that makes a testimony like this even more uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, you want to read this next one from Sunanda? Yeah. Uh, it says, at the age of 10, I received God's love when dealing with health issues. But later on, when I started working, I was in the company of the wrong friends, and I wandered away from my faith. Three months ago, I watched your program on TV, and it made me realize the mistakes that I made and how sinful I was. I broke down and repented. Please pray for me. So, so encouraging. And I'm sure some of our listeners noted that it said TV. Mm -hmm. We've made a big shift in our ministry to India toward TV, YouTube, satellite TV, small groups, small groups. Uh, and again, I think if, if you listen to through the Bible and our dialogues, you will learn that we are media agnostic. What we mean is we just want to do what is the most cost effective 
distribution of Dr. McGee's teaching. Yeah, and stuff dies out over time, too. Technology yeah. changes. I mean, it used to be, you know, 30 years ago, shortwave and AM radio yeah. was a big thing. And those two mediums slowly, you know, from terrestrial radio got replaced with FM. And then this little thing called the smartphone came yeah. in and pretty soon video becomes a thing. Yeah. And now you have 83% of the planet having a, a smartphone. Yeah. Okay. We have time for one more from Ritu. Ten years ago, my father started listening to Through the Bible on the radio. At that time, we were going through financial loss, and the Word of God comforted us and gave us peace. Hmm. Witnessing this, I began to have faith. It has been four years that I am listening to and now watching your program on TV. There's the transition we just talked about. Uh, Ritu goes on, there is no church nearby for fellowship. It is only through this program that we are now growing in faith. Thank you for this blessing. Hmm. Well, Greg, let me pray for us as we begin our study, and specifically for the people in Madhya Pradesh. Lord, I pray for the ministry that's going out so effectively throughout all of India, but particularly for Madhya Pradesh and for the new delivery methods for going out into TV or just video in general, whether it's consumed on a television or on a smartphone. I pray that you would continue to bless it, that you would continue to call people to yourself, and that we would be... Uh, still able to see the fruit of your spirit moving throughout the lives of those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's dive into Ezra chapters 1 and 2 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, as we come to Ezra, I'd like to make some preliminary statements that will help us to understand this book. We've come now to the last of the historical books but they do not follow ad seriatum. That means one right after the other. Now, last time when we were back here in the Old Testament, we concluded with Second Chronicles, and we saw that the southern kingdom of Judah went into captivity for 70 years. And we haven't had a word from them since they went into Babylonian captivity. Now, Ezra picks up that study. The fact of the matter is we have now three historical books that are called post-captivity books. And three of them are historical, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Then there are three that are prophetical, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah belong together. Ezra was a priest, Nehemiah was a layman. And they worked together in such a way that God's will was accomplished in Jerusalem. And we have Haggai and Zechariah. They worked together and encouraged the people to rebuild the temple. Now, Haggai was practical, as we're going to see when we get to his book. He carried a ruler with him. He said two plus two equals four. He measured the temple. Everything, you know, had to be brought right down to the ground, laid out, and that was the way to do it. He's not very romantic or poetic, but he sure was practical. Now, Zechariah is a dreamer. This man, Haggai, had his feet on the ground. Zechariah had his head in the clouds. Well, Zechariah, for instance, saw a woman in a bushel basket going through the air. My friend, that's poetical. Haggai had never have seen that. And the interesting thing, Zechariah would never concerned himself about the measurements of the temple and the fact that you had to have doors in it and a foundation under it. You need these two men to go together. You need the 
practical man and the poet to walk along together. And these were the two men God put together. And he put together a priest and put together a layman, this man Nehemiah. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they were the ones that built the temple and the city. And Nehemiah built the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilt them, I probably should say. Now, if you'll notice that the book of Ezra is a book that deals with the Word of God. In fact, he's one of the characters of the Scripture who has been almost forgotten. He's never received proper recognition. To begin with, he was a descendant of Hilkiah, the high priest. You find that in Ezra 7, 1, who found a copy of the law during the reign of Josiah and led in, actually, a revival. Ezra is going to lead in a revival also. Now, Ezra was a priest, but he was unable to serve during the captivity. There was no temple. It had been destroyed. But he gave his time to the study of the Word of God. We're told in Ezra 7, 6, that he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. He was a great revivalist and a great reformer. The revival began with the reading of the Word of God by Ezra, and we'll see that in Nehemiah 8. Also, he was probably the writer of First and Second Chronicles, and also of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, right in the center of the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. It exalts the Word of God. And he organized the synagogue. He was the founder of the order of the scribes. He helped settle the canon of Scripture and he arranged the Psalms. I want to say that we ought to pay tribute to Ezra. He was the first to begin a revival of Bible study. And isn't this God's program for revival? We've had no revival in our day. Dwight L. Moody made this statement and he saw revival. He said the next revival will be a revival of Bible study. And all the boys have been trying to whip it up by organization, by methods, by using this gimmick and that gimmick. And some of them have done right well. The only problem is there's been no revival. We've seen no revival in our day. Tragic, isn't it? It's too bad they haven't come to the Word of God. Oh, pray that Today, the church shall come back to the Word of God. Now, there's a great many references in Ezra to the Word of God. In fact, there are ten direct references to the Word of God. And the place of the Word of God is seen in the total life of his people. I read a letter from a poor woman way out yonder in the Hawaiian Islands, on the big island of Hawaii. And the cults have been after her, but in her own church, she has never had to open the Bible. Wonder what they've been doing in the church, making paper dolls, having lectures on sex, and on methods. May I say to you that everything but the Word of God has been taught. They trembled at the words of the God of Israel, it's the way Ezra put it in Ezra 9, 4, and again in 10, 3. Now, Dr. James M. Grace made this statement. I'd like to read it to you. 
We already have seen that the Babylonian captivity did not bring the Jews to national repentance and so lead to national restoration. As the reading of Ezra will disclose, when Cyrus, king of Persia, gave permission to the captives to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, scarcely 50,000 availed themselves of the privilege, a considerable portion of whom were priests and Levites of the humbler and poorer class. Now we have in this book of Ezra two major divisions. We have the return from Babylon led by Zerubbabel in the first six chapters, about 50,000 return. And then we have the return from Babylon led by Ezra. And the return under Zerubbabel you have in the first six chapters and the return led by Ezra in chapters 7 through 10. About 2,000 return with him. Now here in chapter 1, we have the restoration of the temple by the decree of Cyrus. Now I want today to get introduced to this marvelous little book of Ezra, and it's very appropriate at this season. Will you listen? Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord, now he puts an emphasis upon the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying... Now, will you notice, this is very important. This man Cyrus is one of these great world rulers who came to know God. He came to know God through the ministry of a prime minister that he had by the name of Daniel. And we find here that this man Cyrus had been marked out over a century before he came. In fact, he was named Isaiah, marked him out. And he came to know God. And he knew what he was doing when he made a decree and gave out a proclamation that the nation Israel could return back to the land. And we're told that the word of the Lord was fulfilled in that. You see, here is prophecy that was fulfilled. At least a fourth of the Bible, when it was given, was prophetic. And of that, a large section has already been fulfilled. This is one of those passages. All the things predicted of the first coming of Christ. There are those that say there are over 300. I've never checked that one out. But over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ literally fulfill. His birth was predicted. All about his birth. That's what Matthew, his second chapter, is all about. Fulfilled prophecy. Four things have been said about him. He's to be born in Bethlehem. He's to be called a Nazarene. He's to be called out of Egypt. And there's to be weeping yonder in a little town that's north of Jerusalem. And how could that be connected with the birth of Jesus? Matthew says, this is the way this all fitted in. And that's the Christmas story. Fulfilled prophecy. Now here you have fulfilled prophecy. The decree was given. Seventy years was up. They could return. But very few returned. Now, 
listen to this decree, because this is very important. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I know somebody's going to say, now, this man makes the statement, he's been given all the kingdoms of the earth. Well, he was. Somebody says, what about the United States? What about California? Well, may I say to you that California was not a very interesting place in that day. Wasn't a kingdom. Nobody was trying to get the votes from California in that day. Not interested because there weren't any out here. And as far as the United States was concerned, there was no United States here. We were rather young. But all the kingdoms that were in existence in that day, Cyrus was the kingpin. He was the one at the top. And he made this kind of a decree. He says, the Lord God of heaven hath given me these kingdoms. I wonder today how many of the rulers of this world in this so-called civilized day recognize that they are ministers of God, that they've been put in that office by God. Whether they know it or not, they've been put in that office. God has let them come into that prominent office. The Lord God of heaven hath given me the kingdoms. Now, the thing that I want you to notice is this peculiar expression, the Lord God of heaven. Have you noticed that's unusual? It occurs here in Ezra. It occurs in Nehemiah. It occurs in the book of Daniel. But you don't find it before that. You know why? Well, before that, it was the Lord God that dwells between the cherubims. The Shekinah glory, the visible presence of God. Just a pillar cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's all it was but is the visible presence of God. And that visible presence of God left them. And you will recall that we made a suggestion that uh, came to the throne, the son of Hezekiah. Actually, he was about the world's worst. They couldn't have had one any worse than he was. His name was Manasseh. Apparently, the glory left during his reign. And that glory lifted from the temple. Ezekiel saw the vision. Lifted from the temple, paused and hesitated to see if the people of God would return to God and turn away from idolatry. They did not. It withdrew out over the city to the city walls. Paused again, but the people did not turn to God. Then the Shekinah glory lifted to the top of the Mount of Olives waited again, but there was no turning to God. And then the Shekinah glory was caught up to heaven. Not seen again, but one day there walked into the temple, one that had the whip made of cords. He cleansed that temple. The Shekinah glory was not visible. He was veiled in human flesh, but he was God manifest in the flesh. He laid aside his glory when he came to this earth and born in Bethlehem. But he's very God, a very God, and he's very man, a very man. But the glory was veiled. And they rejected him and crucified him. But you see, during this period now, when the Shekinah glory is caught back up into heaven, why, he's the God of heaven. And today, that one who came 1,900 years ago, 
veiled in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him. was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of man. The important thing is, in verse 14, he says, And the Word, the Word that was God, became flesh. When? Bethlehem. Don't tell me John doesn't have the Christmas story. He does. The Word was made flesh and pitched his tent here among us. That's what it really means. He was veiled in human flesh. But no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he's brought him out in the open where we can see him. He came, as George MacDonough put it, they were looking for a king to lift them high. He came a little baby thing that made a woman cry. And they crucified him. But he's the king. He's in Matthew's born a king. He lived a king. He performed miracles as a king. He taught as a king. They arrested him as a king. They tried him as a king. He died as a king. Buried as a king. He rose again as a king. He went back to heaven as a king. He's coming someday as a king. Oh, he's the king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And today, he's the he is what? Oh, how important, friends, it is to see this. Don't miss it at all. He's the Lord God of heaven. Don't go to Bethlehem. He's in heaven. He's not in Bethlehem today. He was there 1,900 years ago. You're a little late getting there if you plan to go this year. But he is the Lord God of heaven today. And right now, this very moment, while you're listening to me, may I say to you, he's at God's right hand. He's a living Christ today. And he was born 1,900 years ago, a little babe in Bethlehem, and he grew up and became a man, and he died, but he rose again, glorified Christ today in a glorified body. And someday, beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. May I say to you, there's a great hope the Christian has today. Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And today, he's the one that offers gifts. And today, he's the one that is the God of heaven, and our hope is in him. And you may look out at the world, and if you do, you'll be like Simon Peter, you'll begin to sink. But don't look to that. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him. And my friend, he can lift you out of this present day. And may I say to you, look to the living Christ. He is the Lord God of heaven. And even this man Cyrus recognized that God had given him the kingdoms of this world. Now, he hadn't done that for you or me, I guess, not as he did for Cyrus. But you remember when we were back in 1 Corinthians, all things are ours, life and death and the world and Christ and Paul, Apollos, they're all ours. They're all ours. And may I say to you, I don't know about you, but years ago in New York City, two little urchins came out of that see me 
east side from that poverty-stricken area. And they came up, and they were looking in the bright windows at the toys and the goodies and the Christmas thing. And as they did, they began to play a game. And one of them would say, I choose that, and would point at something. And the other one said, I choose that one. And another one said, I choose that one. And they just went down the list. Nice game. I don't know about you, but it's no game with me. I choose Jesus. How about you? How about you? He's the living Christ today at God's right hand. We're not talking about a baby. We are talking about the living Christ, the Lord God of heaven. We leave off there and begin right there next time. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, we've only got our foot in the door of Ezra, but I think that you'd agree it's going to be a worthwhile adventure. So if you want to go into more detail yourself, then you need to download Dr. McGee's Notes and Outlines, and you can do that at ttb.org forward slash notes, or call 1-800-65-BIBLE and request a paperback copy of Briefing the Bible. Meet me here next time for another great study in God's Word. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save you a seat on the Bible bus. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?